The Steelers went out to the West Coast this week, facing the Los Angeles Chargers in California. Ben Roethlisberger was the starting quarterback, and the Steelers predictably lost the game. I'm Jeffrey Benedict. Welcome to the Cutting Room Floor. It wasn't just another loss for Ben Roethlisberger on the West Coast. It was likely his last game played on the West Coast. Unless he comes back next year, and even then it's not guaranteed. He's been out to the Pacific time zone nine times in his career. And he's won only once of those games. And that was his very first one when he's 23 years old in the 2005 season. A 24-22 win over the San Diego Chargers. And that is it. The only time Ben Roethlisberger has ever won in the Pacific time zone. To give you an idea of that, that was against Drew Brees' San Diego Chargers. With Antonio Gates and LaDamian Tomlinson. That's the San Diego Chargers that Ben Roethlisberger beat on the West Coast. Since that time, he has lost eight straight games playing on the West Coast. The crazy thing, the craziest thing to me in that number is that Ben Roethlisberger has not played poorly in those games. He has had... Three, I would say, bad ones out of those nine games. And six, at least good, at least solid ones, four games where he played really well. The Steelers are one in three in games where Ben Roethlisberger's stat line is a really good one. Like, on the West Coast. And yet, without Ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers have a winning record on the West Coast during the time he was a Pittsburgh Steeler. The, it's it's a ridiculous stat to me. I, I don't I don't know how to even make sense of it, but it is a thing that has continued to happen, and it happened again this week. Thing I want to talk about this week is not just you know time zones and their relevance to how well the Steelers win, uh, but I want to talk about the talent. And I want to talk about how talent matters in football because we're seeing a lot of people respond to the last two games that the Steelers have played as if talent is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you're good at football. It's completely irrelevant. And that's just not true. I mean, on the surface, we know that's not true. We know that talent matters. That's why you pay a TJ Watt that much money. That's why we love Cameron Hayward. That's why Ben Roethlisberger as a quarterback affected this franchise so much. We won two Super Bowls with Ben Roethlisberger. Not because of coaching, not because of the color jersey he wore, not because of how hard the fans cheered, but because Ben Roethlisberger was a really talented quarterback. That's why. So I want I want to talk about that a little. Last uh, in this in this game, the Steelers. I've heard people criticize the offense. Uh, it's a little hard to criticize an offense that scores thirty seven points in ten possessions. That's a lot of points. That's 3.7 points per drive. That's a lot. Uh, And last week, the week before, people were making excuses for the offense when they scored 16 points in 
13 drives. A little over one point per drive. Like, they scored at, a, at, a, at three times the rate that they scored last week. And people complained about the offense this week. The reason the offense was better, a big, big part of it, was Ben Roethlisberger returned. Chase Claypool returned. Trey Turner came back from missing about half the game last week. And Eric Ebron was playing better in his second game back from his injury. The offense, with all these people back, shows up. Now, I do want to give a little caveat there. there. There is the factor of the opposing team that you're playing. Both Detroit and San Diego. Not San Diego. Uh, both Detroit and L.A. Uh, have pretty bad defenses. They're not good defenses. But the Chargers were actually one of the better passing defenses in the NFL. They're a bad run game, run defense. In this game, they were very focused on stopping the run. And when they got the lead going, they kind of kept that focus on the run game. And they kind of dropped back. And they really allowed the Steelers to attack them with those underneath crossing routes. And if you let... 39-year-old Ben Roethlisberger throw those crossing routes underneath, he's going to carve you up. He's going to destroy you. Uh, Most teams don't give the Steelers those routes. The Chargers started giving us those routes or just not being able to execute enough to deny them. Ben Roethlisberger got going. That's, That's what happens when you let Ben Roethlisberger hit those passes is he starts getting going. And then you're in trouble. The Steelers' run game... Uh, was pretty bad. Pretty bad. Uh, that makes sense to me. Since Kevin Dotson left last week, when he left for injury with injury last week against Detroit, since that time, the Steelers have not been able to run the ball in the middle of the field. They just haven't been able to get that going. And that really sh- ex- brings to the surface one of the weaknesses uh, I've talked about with with Matt Canada's offense. Matt Canada's offense is built around that run game, which as Steeler fans, we want that. We want an offense built around that powerful running game. If you can run up the middle, you know, and then build everything off of that, that's kind of what we want. Well, that's Matt Canada. The problem is when he can't run up the middle, when the team can't, and that's not a scheme. Thing. Running running up the middle field is not about how clever your offensive coordinator is. That's about execution and talent. Kevin Dotson leaves the game uh, last week. J.C. Hassenhauer replaced him. J.C. Hassenhauer starts this week, is replaced uh, by Joe Hegg. Joe Hegg and J.C. Hassenhauer are not Kevin Dotson. Hassenhauer has become a pretty solid backup center. But he's not a absolute earth mover of a beast at guard, right? That's not J.C. Hassenauer. That's never going to be him. He he's becoming a solid backup, a B.J. Finney kind of player that I think is going to be going to be very valuable for the Steelers to have. Like you found this guy from out of nowhere. That's a nice backup. Good job. You know you've helped him develop. He's become a much better player than he was last season. He's not Kevin Dotson. He's not bullying people. He's not pushing defensive tackles around. That's not who he is. And the run game suffers because of it. Everything suffers because you don't have, you know, one of your best offensive linemen kind of leading the way. It's like losing an Alan Fanica, right? Kevin Dotson has that kind of a ceiling. I don't think he's going to get there this year. 
he he's he just doesn't have the talent around him right now. But even if you take if you take an Allen Fanicky, put him on this team, he's gonna dominate. You take him out, well, your run game's gonna suffer. Kevin Dotson is our best offensive lineman, and he is a really good run blocker. Him being out hurts the run game. That's how talent works. You know, you're good at something, you're better than other players at something, that's why you're a starter. When you go out, the next guy wasn't a starter because he wasn't as good at you as you. You have an obvious drop-off in talent there. There were some problems with Matt Canada's offense, and I think they mostly derived from the fact that we weren't running the ball up the middle. Teams weren't respecting it. They they were sitting and looking and, and finding ways to stop the jet sweeps because they weren't having to overload the middle. And we were sitting there looking and saying, okay, they're stuffed in the middle. Let's try that jet sweep. And nope, nope, they're not dedicated to, to stopping Najee Harris. They're not as worried about the middle of the of the line because our offensive line isn't winning battles. The game was a close game. It was a one-score game the Steelers just lost. A one-score game. Four points. And there were a lot of different places where we can look and say, there's a loss. There's a play where the Steelers could have won it. Getting the ball into the end zone instead of, you know, turnover on downs early in the game could have been one. Uh, at any point when they kicked a field goal, you know, to make scoring a touchdown there. Uh, a big one to me that stood out was a defensive play. It was a play when the Seals were on defense. When Keenan Allen deflects that ball, and you can see Terrell Edmonds is lined up to pick it off. Like the Herbert threw an interception, but Keenan Allen jumps up and, def- and tips the ball, and it falls incomplete. That was a huge play. The n- exact next play after that was Herbert's huge run. Cameron Hayward's personal foul penalty and the Chargers come away with a touchdown. If he doesn't deflect that ball, if he doesn't get to that ball and that ball just sails over his head and Terrell Edmonds catches it, very different game. That's a huge momentum swing. That's a game-changing play right there. We know this about football. Football is a game of inches. Football is a game of big plays. And any one play can swing a football game. That's the, that's the reality of football. It's one of the reasons we love it. At any moment, a big play could happen that changes the outcome of a game. We're used to seeing those moments. We're used to seeing them because you have guys like TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, Cameron Hayward sometimes makes those plays. Like We're used to seeing the Steelers make those plays. In this game, the big plays were made by the Chargers, and they were not made by the Steelers, and a big reason for that is the Steelers' playmakers weren't on the field. Most of them weren't on the field. You you can say that's an excuse, and I'm hearing people say that's an excuse, but that's reality. When you don't have playmakers, you're bad. When you have playmakers, you're good. That's football. It's that simple. The New York Jets, the Jacksonville Jaguars are bad because they don't have enough playmakers. They don't have talent. The Steelers' defense has been good the last couple of years because they have playmakers. Not because Keith Butler is a brilliant defensive coordinator that no one can match. It's because we got T.J. Watt. Because we got Cameron Hayward. Because we got Minka Fitzpatrick. So all of a sudden, when you don't have T.J. Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick... The loss of those playmakers makes your defense worse. It's really that simple. 
I, I've had arguments. People have said things like, you know, oh, you don't know how the game would have transpired. The Steelers probably, even if TJ Watt plays, the Steelers will have lost that game. Even if Terrell Edmonds makes that interception, the Steelers still lose that game. And frankly, that's crap. Like, it, it's, it registers the same as the argument that, like, the Steelers would have been 8-8 eight and eight with or without Minka Fitzpatrick. Or maybe without Minka Fitzpatrick, they're 7-9. and nine. When you can point to consistent, huge plays being made by Minka Fitzpatrick in 2019, where, like, one of my, the best example is the Indianapolis Colts game, where they throw a touchdown pass, but Minka Fitzpatrick picks it off and takes it the entire length of the field for a touchdown. It's a 14-point swing in a two-point game. You can't tell me if Minka Fitzpatrick, if they give up a touchdown there, that they would just win anyways. Right? That, that's not happening. This is like a four, you know, that's that's not how football works. And those kind of those kind of plays also create problems with analysis because we tend to then overvalue plays where we can't say. Well, you know, if they didn't make that play on first down, they would have they would have picked up the the second down or third down. Oh, if they didn't score a touchdown early in the game, it doesn't matter as much. But if you don't score that touchdown at the end of the game, well, then you would lose. And it artificially inflates the value of the last drive, and it artificially inflates the value of like third down conversions. And we've seen how inaccurate that is. And one of the best examples I have of that is ESPN's QBR stat. That is just absolute trash. Uh, they they have a clutch meter in there, and that clutch meter has led to such incredibleness. As if if you want to look at the best uh, quarterback game of all time according to QBR, right? You can go to Charlie Batch playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a Pittsburgh Steeler, a game where he threw three touchdowns and two interceptions, had like seventeen total pass attempts. And he wasn't good. It wasn't a very good game. But because of the clutch factor, he's a 99.9 QBR. Best quarterback game ever played. No one's ever been as good as Charlie Batch was that day. Except there's plenty of examples just of the Steelers. Like, that's not even Charlie Batch's best game. What's the best game ever? Because a stat like that says that, you know, 11-yard pass on first down is not as valuable as two incomplete passes on first and second down, and then on third down, you throw an 11-yard pass. Well, that's obviously better because it was clutch. It's worth more. It's more valuable. And if you score touchdowns in the first quarter, they're not worth as many points. They're not as valuable as ones that you score at the fourth quarter and at the end of the game or in overtime. Oh, my goodness, that's so much more valuable. Despite, like, if you're a kicker and you miss a kick, in the first quarter, and your team loses by three points. Or if you're a kicker and you miss the kick at the end of the game and your team loses by three points, you know, that's that's bad. If you, if you say you have a chance to win the game at the end of the game and you miss that kick, and then in overtime you make a kick to win the game, was that overtime kick worth more than the kick would have been in regulation? No. It's not worth more. It doesn't matter when you score points. Right? If you if you take a touchdown from the if you cancel a touchdown from the first quarter of this game and you add it on in the fourth quarter, it doesn't suddenly become a more valuable touchdown. It's still seven points. It's the same number of points. The game score doesn't change. But yet there are people who will say, well, that's more valuable because it's it's a clutch. That's a clutch factor. Don't buy into that. Don't buy into that. Plays can be made at any point in the game. Any single play. 
can be the difference in a game. Like, the, the wild card game last year against Cleveland, the biggest play in that game was the first snap of the Steelers' offense. Snapping the ball over Ben Roethlisberger's head for a defensive touchdown for the Browns. That changed the entire game. That play dominated the game. It was the most important play of the game. Doesn't matter when it happened. It happened early in the first quarter. There was an entire game to make up for it. But that game, that single play, affected that game more than anything else. That's my rant about why talent matters, why we need to look at great plays equally no matter when they happen in the game. Obviously, end-of-the-game heroics are going to stand out in our minds more. But that doesn't mean they are more valuable than making a similar play to have the similar impact on the game just earlier in the game, right? San Antonio Holmes makes a great catch for a touchdown early in the Super Bowl instead of the Steelers settling for a punt. It's equally as valuable as as San Antonio Holmes catching a touch, uh, making a fantastic catch of a touchdown at the end of the Super Bowl, right? It's, it's they're equal. It's just one of them. It was an incredible catch, and it happened to be at the end of the game. We overvalue those things, though, in my opinion. That's that's a rant from me. Uh, in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about the defense. Whew. That's going to be a fun part, isn't it? I bet you're all looking forward to that. So stay tuned. <laughs> we're going to do a commercial break, and then we'll be back for some fun in the second half of the show. Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm Jeffrey Benedict. This is The Cutting Room Floor. Cutting Room Floor, as always, is brought to you by the Behind the Steel Curtain network of podcasts. If you're not listening to all of our shows, you should be. I'm not going to go into, into too much about it. If you are listening to more of our shows, you're hearing this as well. We really have tons of content. There's a lot of great shows there's shows every single day. There's evening shows on YouTube that you can go and participate in the live chat. There are afternoon shows like this one that come out every day of the week. There's morning shows. Lots of different content, lots of different perspectives. As much Steeler content as you want. If if all of the shows are a little bit much for you, there's enough different things. You can pick what you like and listen to it. When I'm particularly... Uh, pushed for time and the weeks that I don't get to listen to every single podcast on this platform. I do most weeks, but when I don't, uh, I tend to catch, I, I go for uh, Let's Ride, Jeff Hartman's podcast. I always like his stuff. Anything Michael Beck does, my co-host from uh, from Know Your Enemy. Uh, listen to anything he does. Uh, I love the Stack Geek. Uh, so I listen to basically all the morning shows, no matter what. And then I also try to catch definitely my, my favorite one still, uh, of the other podcasts is what Yin's talking about. I, I love the change of pace. I love the lighter, funnier mood. It's it's not as deep. It's not as in depth as as how I approach the Steelers. I mean, I'm watching film all week. I'm I'm doing diving in. I get a little too 
into my head with the Steelers, you know, into into the game, into the film at times. And it's it's a great, great podcast for me because it just helps me relax, helps me listen to it, laugh a little bit, and, and maybe take that week's game a little less seriously, which is something I think we can all benefit from. We're going to talk about the defense here in the second half of the show. In the first half, we talked about the offense, and then I went on a rant about the value of any given play in a football game and how oftentimes the idea that we have that certain plays are clutch because they're later in a game or on third down, that's overblown, right? A first down is a first down. Whether you gain 11 yards on first down or 11 yards on third down, doesn't matter. It's 11 yards and a first down. That's what matters. It doesn't matter if you score a touchdown in the first quarter or a touchdown in the fourth quarter. You know, the final score is affected the same by the same amount. If you didn't do enough to win, you didn't do enough to win, right? There's all kinds of points in a game where players can make a difference. That's that's the message I'm trying to get across. It's not just certain plays. It's not just certain times. One example I'd like to deal with that on the defense was Joe Schobert had that great stop. That great run stop got into the backfield and stopped their running back. One of the few plays like that we saw all game. And Joe Schobert kind of became a little bit of a hero of the game. You know, like he did his part. He made that stop when when other people weren't making stops. And you watch the first half of the game. Joe Schobert is getting thrown at. Joe Schobert is being targeted. He did not have a good first half of the game. He kind of redeemed himself with that good play there. But we could have used those plays earlier in the game too. By the same token, early in the game when they're attacking Joe Schobert, Devin Bush wasn't as bad. Obviously, in the second half, (laughs) Devin Bush had a terrible second half. I'm not saying they played equally. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, Joe Schobert had a better game than Devin Bush. And we can talk about Devin Bush. I I think I've talked about him enough over the the weeks on this podcast. Uh, But both him and Joe Schobert have the same problem on this defense. They're both struggling from, from one common problem, and that is... Neither of them are guys who are designed to take on offensive linemen. They're just not those guys. When Joe Schobert nice into the backfield and makes that stock tackle for a loss, he was unblocked. Last week against Detroit, Devin Bush made a very similar play. On a run play, he got into the backfield and tackled the running back because he was unblocked. When these guys, at the same time, when these guys have defense, offensive linemen on them, when they have a guard hitting them, and blocking them, they're out of the play. Neither Devin Bush nor Joe Schobert are doing anything when they have a guard on them. They're just, they're, they're not those guys. They're not Vince Williams, you know. There aren't many of those guys left in the NFL. That's not how they teach them to play in college. That's just not, that's not football. That's not this era of football. And you're not going to find those guys. You've got to keep your linebackers clean for them to make plays. And our defensive lines are not doing that. The other the other factor in Devin Bush is with injury, he has been slowed. And when you have a linebacker who basically is small and quick, and that's his asset, is that he's fast and quick. You know, that's that's his whole thing. He's agile, he's fast. He loses that. What's he got left? It's like Mike Wallace. You take away his speed. How good is he as a red receiver? He wouldn't be at all. Like his value was his speed. That's as Devin Bush as a linebacker, when he loses, when he he doesn't have his speed now, I don't know if he'll get it back. But he's 
he struggles a lot right now. That's the inside linebackers, and that's that's kind of the reason the reason I want to talk about them and why they need the defensive line is because we don't have a defensive line right now. We have Cameron Hayward. He's the only starter we have playing on the defensive line. And really, in this game, when you look past Cameron Hayward, you've got Cameron Hayward, and you've got Alex Highsmith, and what else do you have in the front seven? We've already talked about Schobert and Devin Bush. You've got Robert Spillane playing in dime, right? The outside linebackers, as I said, you've got Alex Highsmith. But then behind him, you've got Char- you got Taco Charlton. You've got Derek Tuska. You've got uh, Delonte Scott. Like, what do you have there? You got nothing. You got Alex Highsmith, who is good, not great. He hasn't become a player who's delivering consistently, you know, big stat lines. He's not a Pro Bowl contender this year. He's very, very good. He's not great yet. He's not there yet. So, so you really, you have in the front seven, you have Cameron Hayward. Behind him, you have Alex Highsmith. Behind him, what do you even have? What do you even have on this defense? Chris Wormley, Isaiah Bugs, Henry Mondo. Uh, in my, we we played we played Daniel Archibong this game. Daniel Archibong played because we were down Isaiah Loudermilk. I I, I talked about this in my weekly snap count article after after watching that game last night. I got to do the uh, post game report, and I said I'm looking forward to my snap count article because I want to look at these guys who played. Right? Here, here's, here's a fun thing you might find interesting on the defense. Uh, Trey Norwood played 100% of snaps in this game. 100% starting free safety. He, uh, that's the first time he's made that mark, and that obviously sets a career high for him for snaps played and the percentage of snaps played. But he's not the only one joining him on the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense and setting a career-high mark for snaps played. James Pierre, most snaps he's ever played in a game. Derek Tuska, most snaps he ever played in a game. Henry Mondo, Daniel Archibong, and Delonte Scott. That is one, two, three, four, five, six players on the Steelers who played more snaps than they ever have before in an NFL game. And two of those guys, Daniel Archibong and Delonte Scott, had never played in an NFL game before. That was their very first game in the NFL, getting on the field. Their first snaps of NFL action came in this game. That's what we had. We didn't have the normal defensive front that we are used to at all. We had Derek Tuska, Henry Mondeau, Daniel Archibong, and Delonte Scott setting career records. Beyond them, three more players set set new highs in snaps played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've played more elsewhere, but not here. Taco Charlton, Akello Witherspoon, and Carl Joseph all played the most snaps they've played as a Pittsburgh Steeler. That's nine players. Nine players playing the most snaps that they have played in a Pittsburgh Steeler uniform, all on defense. Think about that. All of them on defense. Nine players playing more snaps for the Steelers than they ever have on this defense. That's not next man up. That's next team up. 
That's your second string. That's your JV squad. Your backups from your varsity squad are your starters on your JV squad. And there's a bunch of guys that normally don't play that get to play because it's JV squad. The real starters we had left were Terrell Edmonds, Cameron Sutton, Cameron Hayward. And I guess you can count Bush and Schobert, although they don't play like starters. I mean, really, if we had a varsity squad, they'd be benched from it. That's that's the Steelers this week. That defines them for me. Go through that game. How many of those drives could we sit can you sit there and look at and say, man, it, a sack. You know, TJ Watt getting a sack at any point in like four different drives changes the outcome of that game. Puts puts the Chargers behind the ball and puts them in it puts the Steelers in a better place to win. Uh the, the runs, I talked about this on the postgame show, the runs by Herbert. Oh my goodness, looking at the film from that. I went through it again today. I talked about it last night, but I went through it again today. And it, yeah, it's exactly what happened is the Steelers normally have T.J. Watt going straight after the quarterback. Alex Highsmith plays a more contained role. Cameron Hayward kind of switches back and forth depending on the situation and what they want him to do. Right. And also who's the other defensive lineman and what skills can they actually, you know, what can they actually bring to the field? And he has to kind of play whatever play off of them because they're limited. They they don't have a well-rounded skill set like he does. In this game, Alex Highsmith was attacking. He was the guy rushing the quarterback and he got a sack and a half out of the game for it. Other guys were tasked with contain and often Alex Highsmith isn't enough. He's not a TJ Watt as a pass rusher. So you're also rushing Cameron Hayward. And when you have both those guys on that side rushing the quarterback and neither of them really looking to contain, it opened up lanes for the quarterback to escape. And your Derek Tuskas and Taco Charlton's and Isaiah Bugs and Henry Mondo's and Chris Wormley even, they're not going to get the job done in containing a Justin Herbert. They're not going to do it. And our pass rush struggled because of it, and he was able to escape and get upfield and convert first downs. And I mean, second most rushing yards by a quarterback since 1970, the Steelers have given up. The only time they've given up more uh, was Terrell Pryor. Also, also happened to be in a West Coast game. It's, it's, you know, a little something about going to the West Coast there where our two most, our two games with the most rushing yards allowed to a quarterback are both on the West Coast. Since, you know, Dan Rooney got involved in, in running the team and drafted, started getting involved in drafting, and they got Chuck Knoll as number two on the list. It's pretty, it's pretty sad, but that's, that's where you are when you don't have pocket containment. You don't get sacks. Instead, the quarterback escapes. TJ Watt being in that game improves your pocket containment drastically. Much, much better pocket containment. And at the same time, you also have more pass rush. If you watch when they they started throwing balls down the middle of the field a lot, you don't do that when you're facing a Minka Fitzpatrick. Teams don't throw there. They started throwing there. The, The big long touchdown to give the Chargers the win was in cover two, Trey Norwood's side. If they're in cover two, no one throws to Minka Fitzpatrick's side of the field. If if Minka Fitzpatrick is in there for Trey Norwood and they're in that exact same defense, 
Herbert's not throwing that ball. And if he is, it's a very tough play to make. Because it's Minka Fitzpatrick. Not Trey Norwood. It's a very different game. And that's why I want you guys to take away from this. I'm not saying it's 100% on the players, and I'm not completely absolving the coaches. Uh, Matt Canada, actually, to me, there were some flaws in this game, and there were some holes there. And that's that's hard to say in a game where the Steelers scored 37 points on 10 drives and only had three drives where they didn't score, and yet you can look at the offensive coordinator and say he didn't coach a great game. Well, if you're going to say that, you've got to understand. You've got to you've got to admit at that point that the talent is more important than the coordinator. Okay? For those of you who want to say Matt Canada was not good this game and also Keith Butler was not good this game, the hard part is you're admitting that the talent matters more than the coordinator. And on defense, we didn't have talent. So you can judge Keith Butler by this game, but you're judging Keith Butler's ability to coach a JV squad against the Los Angeles Chargers. That's really what you're doing. And that's not a fair estimate of his coaching ability. It really isn't. Any more than, you know, last week we saw we saw last week on 14 drives the Steelers defense gave up 16 points when they were getting run all over and they they were desperate to adapt to that and and Yet they still held him to 16 points on 14 drives. That's incredible. That's where we're going to end our show today. Uh, I don't... I don't know. I, it, it's like Steeler fans kind of go crazy after losses, and I understand that. We're all upset. We're looking for people to, to blame. But do it intelligently. Understand that this team was missing too many players. This was a loss we were going to have. And yeah, you can blame the shallowness of the roster, but we've talked about that since the offseason. That the way the team was was asking people to step up. You know, our number four cornerback last year was Cameron Sutton. You know who our number one cornerback today was? Cameron Sutton. Like, that's that's how you end up without good depth. Is when you have guys have to step up like that. You just suddenly don't have depth. So that's 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 our show. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop because I've got so many things I can talk about. So many things I ran. If I don't just end this now, I'm gonna find something new to, to talk about more. So thank you for listening. Uh, have a good week. Like I always like I always try to say about in these games, enjoy the ride. See the story of the game. Don't just don't just sit there and say the Steelers need to win or I'm gonna have a crappy week. Right, I mean, either win or I'm having a terrible week. Don't, don't do that to yourself. This team is not that good. You're going to have a bad rest of the season. Okay. All right, that's it. Finally, I, I'm actually going to going to stop this time. Uh, thanks for listening. Listen to your check out the other behind the steel curtain podcast and uh, whoo, Bengals this week, next week coming up. Let's go Steelers. Yeah.